Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. You know, I get a lot of young filmmakers that reach out to me and say, hey man, you know, could you watch this or could you give me some advice? How did you do this? And it always goes back to me saying to them, you know, are you ready to do this? Like, I know you think you're ready to do this, but like, are you really ready to do this? You know, what kind of emotional support do you have? Filmmaking is a lifestyle test, not a job. And as you get started, don't only be thinking about the story and what cameras you're gonna use and how you're gonna do this. Be ready to make sure you have all of the t- emotional tools that you need to have in your backpack or, or your travel bag that you keep close to your chest that you can open up and lean on. Let it be a, a friend to speak with or a husband or a wife. And then have that conversation early on and say, you know, this is gonna be a very long road. Should we work these things out in our relationship, you know, so that we're, we're, we're good to move forward? I mean, those are really important things that I don't think people talk about. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 57. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, the Documentary Life Podcast, and the Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. If you've been a listener of this show for any length of time, you know that my wife and I have been working on a documentary called Elvis of Cambodia for nearly the past four years. This March, we'll be traveling back to Cambodia to get some additional B-roll and to do some final check-ins with some of the film's subjects. If one had to, to classify this doc into a, a particular category, it would most likely fall into the now pretty broad music doc genre, though it could just as easily fit into other categories, uh, certainly historical or cultural docs as well. Now, I've long been interested in the music doc genre since, well, really, since it's the crossroads of, of two of my favorite things in the world, music and film. I'd always wanted to do a music doc, but but actually I'd envisioned that I might do something a little more contemporary and less historical, and, and, and maybe I'd follow a band around, perhaps on a tour or you know, the making of, of, of a new album. I never really saw myself, um, I never really envisioned my first music doc would, would be more historical and, and hardly contain any archival footage of the artist. Um, our singer, the late Sinsi Samut, was executed at the hands of the Khmer Rouge during the Cambodian genocide in, in the, the latter half of the 70s. At the end of the day, our, our film, just as is the case with most music docs that I'm particularly drawn to, um, they're still all about story, and, and they're all about the characters, most usually, but not always, the performers themselves. And this is the case with Ian McFarland, a documentary filmmaker, musician, and music video director whose latest film, The Godfathers of Hardcore, tells the story of New York City hardcore um, and, and one of the bands at the forefront of the scene, Agnostic Front. 
he's going to give us some great insight into into what it means to make a music documentary, um, how we might best make one, and what some of the pitfalls are that that we should be aware of. It's it's a great conversation um, that I've actually been eager to share with you for a while now, ever since Godfather's played Doc NYC. So so yeah, we'll be talking to him in a little bit. But before we do that. I'd love to take a closer look at the music documentary genre as a whole. So let's do that once we come back from a quick word from our sponsor. After I premiered my first documentary film, Journey to Kathmandu, a film that took nearly five years to make, I remember feeling elated and exhausted. Is there any other feeling like the first time you show your completed doc film to an audience? I don't think there is. Not long after, I took a well-deserved short break away from the city, and it was while I was on a hike, when I had reached a mountaintop and was overlooking the Great Columbia River, that I found myself thinking back on the film and the journey that I'd been on. I thought about all the mistakes I'd made, all the wins that I'd had, how it had felt to finally share my film with an audience, and I thought about the life it would have from here on out. And I began to break down all the components of what had gotten me to where I was at that moment, and all the things I wished I'd done differently. And this is how I began to form what I am sharing with you today, a free course entitled The Documentary Filmmaker's Essential Checklist. In The Essential Checklist, I share with you the fundamental aspects of making a documentary film, and perhaps most importantly, help you to avoid making some of the mistakes that I made during my first feature film. It is my sincere hope that The Documentary Filmmaker's Essential Checklist will help make your doc film's journey the truly exhilarating experience that it can and should be. It's yours simply by going to thedocumentarylife.com slash courses and enrolling for free. The very first show that we did with another doc filmmaker, which was about a year and a half ago, it also just so happened to be a music doc. It was episode number three, I believe, and, and it was a conversation with New York doc filmmaker John Perosi. John was someone I'd been in touch with over the past couple of years because of our, our shared interest in a few things, namely documentary film in the country of Cambodia, a place where, where John has, has also spent large chunks of his life filming in. His most recent documentary, Don't Think I've Forgotten, a film about the history of, of Cambodian rock and roll, has won numerous awards throughout the world. It's been screened in many cities internationally, and um, and, and it's just secured a major, major distribution deal at this point. Um, John had also re already released a film called Sleepwalking Through the Mekong, a, a film that it follows American band Dengue Fever for their, their first tour in Cambodia, where, where actually the lead singer is originally from. I actually mentioned that because I really just now thought of it before I was uh, to record this particular segment for the show. Um, I guess I've always been really been a fan of the music doc genre. Again, music and film are, are two of my biggest passions. Uh, practically the only material possessions that I have are my cameras and my record collection. I'm not kidding. Um, music docs these days have, have really been on the rise in popularity. Uh, in the past five years alone, films like Searching for Sugar Man and, and 20 Feet from Stardom, they've taken home numerous awards, not the least being uh, Best Documentary Feature uh, at, the, uh, at the Oscars. If you search Netflix or Amazon, the list of music docs is easily in the hundreds. Um, 
if you do a wiki search for documentary films about music and musicians, you'll find uh, there's like 12 subcategories, including uh, classic albums films. Um, There's some great ones that that, that examine the making of albums like like, uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon or uh, Peter Gabriel's So or um, Oasis's Definitely Maybe. there's also uh, other subcategories like concert films, of course. Uh, Jonathan Demme's uh, "Stop Making Sense" or or Scorsese's "The Last Waltz" um, come to come to mind. Uh, documentary films about musical groups. Documentary films about musical festivals. Um, the big ones, or the classic ones, of course, are are Woodstock or or Gimme Shelter. Um, documentary films about the musical industry, documentary films about musical instruments, documentary films about musical fans. Um, that gives you some idea. Uh, the list, the list goes on. Actually, that last one, documentary films about musical fans, we should stop and pause and reflect, really. I'm I'm one of the most well-known, also most cheaply looking and made music docs out there um, that that happens to be about musical fans. What's your name? Graham, man, like Graham and Where are you from? Where are you from? Well, I'm from the West Coast, man. Perhaps you guys remember a, a film called Heavy Metal Parking Lot. This is kind of a cult classic of documentaries that's that's simply gained in popularity really uh, over the years. Um, you know that when popular music artists are, are 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 referencing a film like this, you you've made it right. Um, Heavy Metal Parking Lot. If you haven't seen it, it, it's shot entirely on three quarter inch umatic tapes uh, with a with a large handheld video camera and uh, and 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 an interview with with a handheld microphone. Um, in 1986, uh, w- which is when I believe it was filmed, two filmmakers basically hung out in a parking lot and, and talked with fans of the band Judas Priest, who were who were set to play that evening. I think it was in a um, uh, in the parking lot of an arena in Maryland. This is this this film is it's great stuff. Look, I'm not even particularly a Judas Priest fan. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, something like British Steel is is a pretty classic metal album. Um, I can which I can definitely appreciate. But I love this film. Now now mind you, if if you're looking for technical expertise and you know brilliant looking concert footage, this this is not the film for you. Uh, perhaps um, this is down and dirty, nitty gritty, proud to be VHS filmmaking here. Um, and it captures fandom in in the best, for me, most real way possible. If there ever was a film that could inspire hope in wannabe documentary filmmakers, this is most certainly that kind of film. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely post a trailer for the film in the show notes for this episode. In fact... Um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll post trailers and other relevant links to any of the music docs that that, that I will that I will now mention here um, uh, in the show. I also mentioned concert film as as a documentary subcategory, um, which I'm actually not a huge fan of. I, I know a lot of music fans really dig this this subgenre of the music doc. But I've just never been that guy, you know, who has the Dolby surround sound set up with with a with a, a gigantic twelve foot TV and, and Blu-ray machine who you know who loves to kick back and watch a, a band's show. This is just for me. Honestly, I'd much rather go to the show or or listen to the album. Um, the music concert is a is a very active experience for me. I, I need to be there. Again, that that's just me. Um, many people love doing this kind of thing. I would have loved to say thank you face to face to face, to everybody, somehow. 
I did not think there was any chance in hell that we were going to make it to the tour. One doctor told him, you're not going on the road. You can't make it to Everest. Don't tell Gordy can't do something. It's been a long time running. I would have put my guitar down and walked off the stage with him in a second. It's been a I did fairly recently see a doc called Long Time Running, which which essentially followed the final tour of Canadian rock legends, uh, the Tragically Hip, probably the biggest rock band to come out of Canada that 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 almost no one in the U.S. except for people uh, in Buffalo or Detroit uh, knows of. Frontman Gord Downey uh, recently passed away from a rare form of brain cancer, and this film, which was was shot before his death. Um, was a tribute to the band and, and its many Canadian fans, including actually current Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I've been a massive fan of The Hip, um, as they're known by their beloved fans, uh, since around 1991 when I when I first heard them. I've probably seen them five or six times in my life. And, and so I made a point of going to the theater to see this, this doc. Um, it's very well done, and, I, and I'm glad that I went to see it. But it didn't really swing my idea of the concert film genre. There are, you know, for me, thankfully, there are there are plenty of interviews that are that are interspersed throughout the throughout the the concert footage. By the way, it's currently on Netflix. Um, if if you're interested. True love will find you in the end. You'll find out just who was your friend. It's funny as I as I put this this segment together, I'm realizing that some of my favorite music documentaries are about artists that I don't even really really care for, which I guess says a lot about what it always seems to hold true um, with documentary, which is that it's about the story, it's about the characters, right? Um, Films that immediately come to mind like this are are Anvil, the story of Anvil. I don't know if you've seen that or not. That's a great one. Um, of course, a, a huge one that came out about a decade ago was was a uh, was Metallica, some kind of monster, or The Devil and, and Daniel Johnston. These are great examples of what I'm talking about. And it's not that I dislike the music, but I actually don't own one album of of any of these artists. I know a number of songs of Metallica or Daniel Johnston, but I've never really followed them um, too closely. But but all three of these documentaries are wonderful captures of the artists as human beings, as rock stars, as family men, as as severely depressed people, as people with addictions, as as people who walk around with their dogs and drink Starbucks. Fascinating stuff, you know, not because of the music necessarily, but but because of the ability of the filmmakers to capture some pretty great moments and tell a compelling story. One of my favorite documentaries of all time is a film called Searching for Sugarman. This film was initially shot on a pretty low budget and was truly the the passion of first-time doc filmmaker Malik Benjalal, who set out on a search for failed American musician from the 70s, Sixto Rodriguez, who was unexpectedly a big hit in, in South Africa. By most accounts, this musician was either dead or, or had simply disappeared into obscurity in the world after basically not being able to make it as a, as a musician. Um, the story that's told is so compelling that, that, that I found myself literally gripping the arms of my, of my seat when I was watching the film. Now, now most of you have probably seen this, seen this doc, but, but for those of you who haven't, there will be no spoilers here. Uh, somehow, I myself had managed to avoid too much press about the film, so when I watched it, I was completely shocked by what would, uh, by what would happen in it. 
Um, this film is, it's so wonderful. It's actually probably impossible not to fall in love with it. Okay, yes, I, I, that is probably a pretty biased opinion. Um, but seriously, check it out if you if you haven't. I will just mention um, also on, on a really sad note that, that only a couple of years after winning an Oscar for Best Documentary, the filmmaker tragically would take his own life after suffering from years of depression. While taking in and watching music docs, other music docs for inspiration for our own uh, our own film Elvis of Cambodia, we, we came across a documentary called Fallen Angel, which is which is a film about Graham Parsons, the legendary uh, country rock singer who who died of a drug overdose at the age of twenty six. Um, sort of adding to his legend, his body was hijacked from the morgue by a colleague and and buried you know somewhere in in Joshua Tree. I liked Parsons' music, and I already knew of some of his bizarre story. But but what really drew me to this doc was that it was it was a posthumous film that that had very little actual footage of the artist. Um, there were a handful of photographs from friends and family, but but almost zero footage of of Graham Parsons. And this is fascinating to me because because I really wanted to see how this was done, since we would really be dealing with a very similar situation with our own film. Fallen Angel is another example of a doc that isn't particularly shot, you know, super well. It's borderline amateurish at times, but but the story again is very compelling, and the interviews seem to have been well, um, very well conducted. Now, as we wrap up this early part of the discussion on the music genre, I want to mention the film and filmmaker that that I talked about uh, at the outset of the segment. Don't Think I've Forgotten by John Perosi. If you've not listened to that episode, go back into the TDL, TDL archives at, at thedocumentarylife.com and check out episode number three. It is an early one for me, so, so you'll give me a little bit of leeway if it's not up to par with, with some of the more current ones. But it's still a very solid conversation with someone who who, who knows a bit about making music documentaries. This particular one, as, as I did mention, it deals with the Cambodian rock and roll of the 60s and 70s. Um, a form of music that's really seemed to have to have gained some resurgence in in, in the past decade, uh, sort of in in the uh, in the Western world. This film, it's a great example of how a film that can be that can seem to be about one thing, in this case, uh, the history of rock and roll in Cambodia, uh, and and really amount um, to something much better. This ends up being a film about the history of Cambodia during um, a very tenuous period in in Southeast Asian history. Uh, it, it's really a very a very thorough examination of the music and history, and I highly recommend it. I also recommend checking out some of that music from that time period. Um, the artists like Sinsi Samut, uh, Rosorai Sotia, and, and Penron, all who were summarily executed during the, the Cambodian genocide. Um, it's some of the most vibrant, fresh-sounding uh, music that you, that you could imagine. Um, of course, once you've done this, you'll have to check out our trailer for our doc, uh, Elvis of Cambodia. Uh, again, I'll, I'll post this in the uh, the show notes for this episode. It is now time for our Doc Lifer of the Week segment. I'd like to take a moment to recognize one of the most active members on the TDL Community Facebook group. His name is Scott Link. And Scott is relatively new to the documentary thing, from what I understand. Uh, but you certainly wouldn't know it by the types of engaging questions and 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 thoughtful um, thoughtful sort of suggestions and answers that that he engages with uh, on the on, on the boards, uh, really on a weekly basis. It's actually been really great to see the evolution of Scott's filmmaking within the posts that he writes. His doc film currently has the working title of "If My Judges Are Ready." 
And it, it follows a group of speech and debate competitors through the 2017-2018 season. Um, I'd encourage you to check out some of Scott's insightful posts, as well as the website for his film, which is speechdebatedoc.com, speechdebatedoc.com. And if you're not already a member of the TDL Community Facebook group, um, I'd also recommend becoming a member today. Uh, you'll be able to join up with an already burgeoning community of like-minded individuals who are all basically sharing their doc films and doc lives. It's a very supportive group um, that you should definitely consider being a part of. Of course, I'll post a link again uh, to this one also in the show notes. But you can also simply search for uh, the Documentary Life Community group on, on Facebook and, and apply to be a part of the group from there. All right, when we come back, we sit down with filmmaker Ian McFarland and have a conversation with him about his journey into the world of music documentary. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is The Documentary Life. And you claim you got something going Something you call unique But I've seen yourself pretty showing I'm excited to welcome longtime documentary and, and commercial veteran filmmaker Ian McFarland to today's program. Ian, uh, welcome to the program. Excited to talk about you and your, and your current film. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So a big chunk of what we'll be talking about today, Ian, is really music documentary as, as a genre. We haven't, I don't believe yet we've on the show really had an entire show dedicated to to music doc as a genre. And in and, and your current film, The Godfathers of Hardcore, is certainly going to be a central aspect with, with which we hold this conversation. But I feel like it might be nice to start from the beginning. You yourself were in a hardcore band, correct? Yes, yes. Tell us about uh, that and that experience and how that kind of led you to your filmmaking career. Well, um, I guess it's more than just a band. It's more of kind of a, um, a, 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 in a way, a subculture, you know, and definitely a subculture of music. Yeah, right. I got, in, I got into this type of music, you know, very at a very young age, um, and then slowly um, became part of the, the, you know, the the culture itself. Yeah. Um, with joining bands, playing shows, and it's it's a you know it's a hardcore uh, you know punk rock uh, metal underground music culture that really isn't out in the mainstream until the mainstream wants to steal the things that we do that are really cool. <laughs> Always. And they like and they like to sell them in uh, Hot Topic and you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever the store may be. Hot Topic. But, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they can give you a, a sponsorship or something. Um, but but um, yeah, I, I, I got into it at a very early age. Um, and it, it kind of just set my, um, you know, my uh, my grounding for, for the rest of my life and yeah. a lot of aspects of it. Um, you know, I then in, in going and being part of the culture, I, I played in different bands. And then I ultimately land in 1998. I landed with um, a band that I actually just, I love the band that they called blood for blood from Boston. And right. I was a, a big fan of them early on. They had started in 1994 and um, I had received demo tapes and, and things like that, as you do with all uh, young bands. And, yeah. and when there was pre-internet and whatnot. Um, and uh, you know, I, I joined the band and then it, it turned into, you know, many years of touring mm. and uh, traveling the world and really being enthralled into that that uh, music culture. And um, 
along the way, um, I started breaking out my camera uh, quite a bit because I, at an early age, even before music, I was like, I was fascinated with cameras and um, I was never, uh, I would say, uh, you know, a really good photographer, but I love the idea of telling stories through, um, you know, film. And then, you know, when you, when you start out doing, you know, music, uh, or I'm sorry, when you start out doing uh, you know, film, you, especially documentary, I think a lot of filmmakers go to what they know and they tell those stories and music culture and especially the hardcore punk rock culture was, was something that was very dear to my heart and I knew very well. So I started doing, uh, music videos. I started, uh, filming, you know, friends bands, just, I didn't know what I was going to do with this yeah. stuff, but I was just doing it. Um, and, um, and then, you know, over time it kind of led into, uh, you know, me doing, um, you know, more commercial work and slowly building a career in that world, but always having my foot in, in the, in the, uh, and the other side of, 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 uh, you know, doing commercial work, doing documentary work, doing, uh, you know, music, um, it all kind of tied together and blended together right. to the culmination of today doing, um, a film about a band that was mm -hmm. a very, you know, a, a very important band in this subculture. Pretty seminal band you, in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you're too familiar with punk rock or hardcore music at all. Are you really too familiar with it at you all? You know what? Uh, I am a huge, huge music fan, period. And so while I never really, you know, I grew up in, in, in the 80s and late 80s and um, you know, to be honest, I was too busy getting my my head exploded by you know the prog rock of of Genesis and Pink <laughs> Floyd, and the closest I got to, to punk rock really, um, I, I definitely had a Dead Kennedys phase, and uh, oh, one of my all time favorite bands is The Replacements. Hands. That's probably oh, as close to punk as I as I got, um, but always very very keenly aware of an, any number of these bands, and of course, like I said, Agnostic Front uh, was certainly a seminal band of that period. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, to answer your question long form, you know, I it was a it was a natural progression and me just seizing opportunities to follow a passion, I think. Um, Absolutely. And you know, what What I'd love to hear about this then is also how, how the rigors of something like touring with a band, how did that prepare you for something like filmmaking? Oh boy, that's a, that's a interesting question. Um, you know, being in a touring band, um, you know, there's a lot of time, uh, you have just to kill time. You know, you spend <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that being in a band and touring, you're literally figuring out interesting ways of killing 23 hours out of a day. Um, <laughs> you know, you have, right. uh, seriously, it's, 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 it's really the, the, uh, a lot of it's something that a lot of people don't really think about when they think of a band touring. They yeah, it's not the romanticized notion. No, it? and it's not. And, and what it does is it really kind of, um, I don't know, it sets you up to when you have all that time to kill to either use it in a positive way and, and think about ideas and um, things you want to do or, you know, people you want, creative artists you want to, uh, you know, work with. Because in music and touring, you know, being a touring musician, there's no lack of being around creative people. Um, but the other side of it is, is, you know, touring in a band. You also, the other thing I was going to say about, about, uh, two ways of, of, uh, you know, ways that people, you know, kill time is mm. a lot of people move into addiction, you know, issues and, and, and drugs yeah, and alcohol and things right. like that. So there's a, there's a dark side of, of that aspect of it. And it's not all, you know, f you know, fun and parties, but with, with just being involved in that, 
um, I think it kind of opened up my eyes to seeing there's way more than just the music. Um, for me, it was the what was interesting about how these people got here mm-hmm. um, and, and how how they all you know how we all found each other um, through a, a common bond of music. Yeah. And in this case, a subculture and, you know, a lot of what the message in this type of subculture, you know, is, is about, which is really against going against the norm. It's very similar to DIY filmmaking. Yeah. And a lot that of is exactly uh, what I was thinking as you're saying you that. Know, a lot of I found a lot of parallels in um, the uh, indie film world yeah. to uh, indie music. Um, it's very similar. It's and a lot of times you see a lot of people that cross over to both fields, like me. Yeah, um, right. And it, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a breeding ground for so many creative people. But to answer your question about how did it prepare me for touring, mm. I mean for filmmaking. Yeah. Um, I, I think the only thing it really prepared me for was to um you know stay well organized on the road um mm. and and keep your your travel tight <laughs> in in a big sense it opened up to my eyes to how many stories are out there and how many uh you know different types of people and different cultures yeah. and different stories and different backgrounds there are and there's so many stories stories to be told yeah. um yeah. and music was a conduit to get me to really just see the world and maybe understand it um a little bit better than I did in my little humble beginnings of this tiny little town with a thousand people in it yeah. in the sticks of Maine. <laughs> so, so it was kind of my, my, you know, the music in touring really helped me see the world in, in, in a different way. I think that's fantastic. You know? And I think that's the case for a lot of, as you mentioned, doc filmmakers, really this idea of, I think a, a big reason that a lot of us do doc film is, we have a sense of exploration and we want to explore the world and 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 cultures and subcultures and and that in many ways you are doing in particular with these partic- these music docs that we'll, that we'll be getting into you're a band you know what that means once you're in you can't get out we've been playing this place a lot of years and you know what it only gets better Godfathers of Hardcore is your current film. It just played Doc NYC. I've seen it recently. It's a fantastic film. It's a huge reason why I wanted to talk with you today, Ian. The, the first thing I notice upon, actually before before I get to sort of my the conversation part of this, it might be great for you to give us a brief synopsis about what Godfathers of Hardcore is all about. Sure. Um, well, Godfathers of Hardcore is a intimate portrait about uh, two of the most influential um, underground figures in hardcore punk rock and, and really, um, you know, the, the fringe underground music in general. Roger Moret and Vinny Stigma from the iconic hardcore punk rock band, yeah. Agnostic Front. Mm. Um, they've been two best friends um, since the uh, early 1980s. Uh, they found each other on the streets of New York City. Um, in the, the very early 1980s, 81, 82, um, where there was a uh, blossoming uh, music scene yeah. that they were calling hardcore punk rock, which was really a, um, a natural progression from the, the punk scene in the 70s. Um, just a little bit uh, different, uh, a little more aggressive, um, a little less uh, maybe... Um, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, based on, uh, on, on, uh, 
you know, I hate the world and, 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 and you know, uh, apathy and, and whatnot. It was more based on let's change it. Let's do something. Let's, let's change things. Let's make things different. Yes. And these guys were at, at uh, not at the forefront of, of hardcore punk rock mm. as a whole, but really the New York scene. Okay, in particular, and, the New York scene, right. Yeah, they, they were really kind of uh, coming up, uh, you know, pretty quick. And it was really in its early stages. So the, the early New York hardcore scene was very small. Um, you know, I wasn't there. So yeah, everything right. that I talk about is is through you know the words and, and, and the videos and the and the you know the eyes of people that were there, um, and in this case uh, Roger and Vinny from the film, mm. and what the film does is it follows them and their friendship over a you know thirty five plus year uh, friendship and career of being in this band moving into today while they're moving into their 50s and 60s <laughs> and you know it's, they're still doing it and they're still saying the same thing and um you know they're still friends and they tour you know anywhere from like seven to like you know literally nine months out of the year right um these guys have families but they've dedicated their life to this 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 uh this lifestyle um and uh this this music message that they're trying to get across um, and it, with that all being said, you know, moving on to, to, you know, I wouldn't say later age, but in the music world, um, in this type of music, yes, it's the, the later age, um, they, they're facing mortality issues um, yes. on, on, so, on so many levels. And I think that, um, so many people, um, you know, in, in our age can, can really relate with that, even if they're not musicians, because we all face the same issues. And then for people that are younger, that are into this type of music or, or not, can, right. can maybe look at them for, for answers. Um, well, I, I think a big part of the beauty of what you've done with this film, Ian, is, first of all, allow me to say, <laughs> allow me to say that you couldn't have chosen two better, more different <laughs> complex characters to show through Roger and Vinny. And, 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 and as a doc filmmaker, when you see this, you, you see the characters, people like this, you're envious because it's, <laughs> they, these are not easy subjects to find. And, uh, and, and what you've done effectively with this film is this is not a portrait of of punk rock or hardcore it's not a a uh, a portrait i mean there there is a portrait of of the hardcore scene of new york certainly but really it's it's the story of these two these two friends and how they evolved right. through 40 plus years uh their right. friendship and their musicianship and 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 the story of maybe hardcore is told through their eyes and for me it's far it's a far more interesting way for me to learn about about new york city hardcore yeah and that was 100 my goal and i'm so glad that you said that and it resonated with you because that was my goal i i've been in on the inside for so long mm. with this type of music that there's there's so many um, stereotypes that go along with this type of music. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, like I said earlier, with the partying and the the the, the debauchery and you know the violence and all these things, which which is, is is not really the focus of anybody in it. Right. Um. And and I I hoped to kind of expose some of those nerves um with in those topics with. Um, and using Roger and Vinny as a conduit to get mm. us there. I had a, I had a, a, a director friend of mine, a fairly well-known commercial director a friend of mine that came from hardcore punk rock, and he's a few years older than me. And he came and watched the film in, in my uh, probably like my close-to-find-cut stage. And um, he just sat back, and 
he said, you know, this is like a love letter. This is, this is, is. Roger and Vinny's love letter to the scene. And to one another so, in many ways. Yeah, I thought it was so it was so just poignant in what he said and so, so you know, interesting because I had never really thought of it that way. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's really it's 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 just I, I, I think that the 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 you know, the idea of of telling um, a story um, through the eyes of guys that were there rather than a, a topical kind of discography type film of right. hardcore punk rock right. is a much more interesting thing, especially for somebody like me that. Um, you know, I, I look, I, I've, I've gone through, you know, I'm, I'm, I just turned 40 this year and, you know, I'm, I'm going through mortality issues, you know, myself. <laughs> right. And I mean, let me ask you, like when, when you, uh, you know, you're going through things or you, you want to lean on someone or, or speak to someone that's maybe experienced those things, right. but maybe you can have a common ground and, 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 and relate on something in your lives together. So that's why you go to those people, Roger and Vinny in, in a, in a strange way, were, were kind of my way of exploring those, those topics because I was friends with them. They had lived insane lives, mm. yet they're so positive, um, you know, today and to still not be really gaining any commercial success or yeah. anything like that right. and just content. Um, that's a really inspiring thing. It is very so many people. Absolutely, it's inspiring. It, it, it very much so. There's something you said within there that 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 spoke to me, and I and I'd like to maybe draw out from you a little bit further. Is sure parallels for me are when I'm doing work in Southeast Asia. Uh, a lot of the work that that a lot of certainly the doc work that I've done tends to emanate from that area. And you've done a ton over there. right? That's right. That's lot. I've done a little bit. I've done a little bit. And and one of the things that I have to constantly remind myself is that I'm seeing I'm seeing things and I'm used to a culture and I'm seeing things not for the first second third fourth and fifth time things become I don't want to use the the term normal that's not at all what I mean but when I'm seeing a new culture it's not new to me but the people that I will be presenting these films to it may be the first time they've ever seen seen a number of things. And so right. I have to remind myself that a lot of what I'm filming might be are things that no one has ever seen before and it might be actually it sometimes it works against me because I might miss something that anybody else would think is a fantastic thing or a new thing or an interesting thing to see where I just take it as like well yeah this is this is daily life in Cambodia or or you know wherever it is. How did were you ever having to remind yourself of anything similar in terms of you're so used to the community. You're used to how it operates. You're used to the to the language that's being used. You're used to how people interact with one another. Did you ever have to remind yourself that, hey, there's going to be people watching this film that don't know these things. They don't know this languaging. They don't know um, the music. And, you know, I didn't focus on that too much um, because I wanted to create something that really, you know, anyone could sit down and watch yeah. and learn learn something, learn about this, this culture and the music because – when it comes to the band, you really don't learn a lot about the band's history. Right. It's like musically or anything like that. It's, it's more about these, you know, these two men and their story and learning how they, uh, because their life and their experiences ends up being the band's story because they've been together for so long. Right. And their story is the band. That's right. So, you know, not to answer your question, like, no, not really. And it, yeah. I didn't really focus on it. One of the things that I really tried to do to separate it was, you know, I, I, I scored the, you know, had the whole film scored. 
It's, yes. it's not the band's music. And it's a wonderful choice, a very interesting choice. It's not something people would normally make when they're doing a music doc. It just seems like the assumption is the score will be music from the band or an artist or, or right. original music that they've created for the film. Yeah, I wasn't interested in in. Uh, I mean, you can you can go on YouTube, you can go on iTunes, you can go on all these different places and platforms and hear the band. Fine, you can go and do that. Right. I I I, I find that a lot of music films go that route, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but early on, once I started doing what I do and my sensibilities, and yeah. I tend to to really gravitate on emotion. Um, and you can see that in any amount of my, my shorts mm. in, in this film, I really focus on emotion and, you know, a lot of time that music, yes, exudes an emotion and give, you know, <laughs> makes you feel an emotion, but it's not the kind of emotion I want to, um, you know, really focus on in, in this film. Right. Um, because there's so much real life, you know, topics that come up and, and so much internal stuff you don't want to hear, you know. You know, agnostic front. You know, hardcore punk rock music blaring underneath. Right, right, um, right. It's so. You know, I worked with a really amazing composer out in Los Angeles named Aaron Drake. Um, and you know, if I can say a little bit about that, it's it's since I am a musician um, and I have been most of my life. Yeah. And this is a music film. It was a big focus of mine to really make the music something really cool and unique. And yeah. not just use the band's music or this culture's music. Yes. Um, and I we we spent a lot of time on it. I mean, I I ended up you know hooking up with Aaron early on. Yeah. And um, I was really specifically looking for someone that could do something um, that was very different and would take not your normal approach. You know, strings or or I think a lot of documentary films have a. It's almost like here's the documentary package for music. <laughs> you, know, right. you know, it's like, oh, here's it's just like a filter package. You know, here's the music package. And, you know, since I'm, you know, by trade, I'm an editor. Yep. I started my career as an editor. That's right. Um, which and, and then moved into being a director and a director editor that really translates to control freak. Um, and, more than <laughs> yes. anything. Um, and, you know, I temp score all my films. Yeah. Um, before I begin, I think you've talked about that in, a, in an earlier episode. I remember you speaking That's about right, that. That's right, right. Um, you know, I, I, I temp scored, you know, my films. And then I take that to an artist that I really like his style or her style. And I say, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Put your spin on it. Mm. And then, you know, my, my composer came back with some things that I was just like, I, I was A, in shock because I was, it was so, so right on the nose of what I wanted but also exuded this emotion that yeah, brought the emotive. scenes to a whole nother level. That's right. And that's right. Opened it right up. Yeah. And, and you know what was cool about it is once I would get music back from him at times, I would want to explore new things in that scene. Oh, um, isn't that, that's such you know? a great feeling. And, and you can appreciate that in particular as an editor. And I can also hate it. Because, yeah, of course. <laughs> because I'm like, oh man, I thought this scene was done. No, it's not done. I gotta keep going. <laughs> you know, I'm a music guy, and we've talked about score here on the program. I'm glad. I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, also, because it was one of the elements to this doc that stood out for me, in that it it created a cinematic. It created some cinema, cinematic elements to this doc, which which I, I really appreciated. And and I wonder if you can speak a little bit more to that because for me, what separates Godfathers of Hardcore from other a lot of other music docs really is 
are, are, are the cinematic qualities that you bring to it. There's graceful moving shots. There's these tight, the, these tight side angles in some of your interviews. There's the, there's the original score that you bring to it where, where many people might normally, other filmmakers might assume that, well, we've got to put, you know, music from the band here. Uh, these are very intentional choices. And I assume they're informed from any number of things, including some of your own film background but but they're great choices uh, tell us about your intention to bring godfathers uh, as a music doc into a more cinematic light well um wow well, thank you number one um for for that for the kind words um no, very i I, it, I absolutely believe that thank you man it's um i this is the thing i love music docs i i me I, too. I, me too. I i think one of the things i don't like about some music docs is that they um, they they don't focus on um, they don't they don't let the film breathe. Mm, um, oh, no, they, totally! It's it's one song to the next, one yeah, concert footage to the next. Yep. Yeah, and they don't they their pacing is all off. Oh yeah, and <laughs> and and that there's other films that are really amazing like like uh one of my favorite films that did it really well was 20,000 Days on Earth. Oh yeah. yeah um yeah. which is just phenomenal. And the pacing of that film is just beautiful. You know, I and, still and you're talking wonderful. Are you talking about the Nick Cave film? Yes, I'm I talking about the Nick Cave. I still have not seen that film. I've just heard oh incredible God. things about it. Oh my God, man! It's it's just it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's um, all I've ever it, heard. It's for everything. Pacing for me is everything, um, because what it does is it either dictates the emotion or it it um, you know uh, brings it up another level that you didn't realize it could go to. Um, you know, it, it and having those moments where you can the audience can just sit back and not only watch but feel what they're watching. Yeah. That's really important to me. Yes. Yes. And I, I, you know, a lot of the ways that I get that stuff, if you, if you, if you notice when you watch the film, there's these, these, I think you're talking about these, you know, cinematic moments. Mm. I really kind of call those moments. Actually, they're called speaking my speaking portrait moments. Yeah. Great. Great. And that, that's what I, I reference to my team is they know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. And, You've actually given it a, a term. So the people that you're working with understand what you're going for. Exactly. And, and, you know, one of the things that, that, that I, I really focused on was I edited a good amount of those scenes okay. early on, okay. um, before, really in the really early stages, because to me, those are the things that really set the spine, the backbone for the emotional connection that I wanted the audience to have with the film. Right. And that would be the, the really in-depth, um, inner monologue stuff that Roger and Benny would be saying. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I, to get those interviews, I, and those tone of those interviews, I, I record them audio only. Um, ah. and I start those, I, that, honestly, that's the very, one of the first things I do. And I, I, I start the films, all my films, I start out, um, as just sitting down and I do the exact same audio setup I would do in a normal on-camera interview. Okay. But but I but I um, sit back and I, I hunker down and I just prepare myself to have a great conversation with my subject. Yeah. And we just spend a lot of time talking. And you get a much different, you know, tone from your subject when there isn't lights and cameras and distractions oh, and all these Ian, things. Oh, Ian, this is very very interesting. There's a lot yeah, so, to be gleaned here. 
so I, so I do that first. Yeah. And then once I have that, um, that, if I get that real emotional connection that I'm looking for, yeah. then I say, okay, this is what I got. And I, I cut those little speaking portrait sections together. Okay. And then I, I lay them out and I say, okay, this is, this is what I was going for. This is the sections that I was looking to, uh, you know, pull this emotion out of. Yeah. And I lay it out. And then I write the film around that. Mm. And and I and, and that's what I did. I wrote the I, film oh, around the moments. Oh, you know what? I, I have to stop you, Ian, for, yeah. for, for a moment because I really want to I want to understand this and I want my listeners to really grasp what you're saying here. Sure. So for clarification, are you saying that before instance, before you actually do the bulk of filming, are you sitting did you sit down with Roger and Vinny and did you have an audio only conversation recording with them? Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, incredible. And, and what happens is, and I use it for two, it, it works out uh, in two ways. Yeah. One, um, it works out for research, for, um, for you know, just getting, you know, to, to understand certain things that, you, you know, your subject normally wouldn't bring up walking down the street while you're filming them or something like that. Right. It's, a, it's a much, much more personal thing. So it works out that way, but it also works out if you do it right you can also splice that in throughout the whole film. Oh, absolutely. And so so that, that's how I, I create that. But then when I go into the actual post section, say the film's done, I sit with my audio engineer and we sit there and we talk and I say, okay, all these speaking portrait sections, I want it to feel like the um, my subject is literally whispering secrets in right on your shoulder mm. and it's an inner, and they're talking to the audience as if their head is on their shoulder just talking to them about this 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 topic or whatever yeah. they want to talk about. Yeah, so I mean, that brings many scenes to mind in watching yes. that film. I, I know and when you're talking about. And that's that's how I, I, I go for emotion first and then I fill in everything around yeah. it. And every story is different to what that is going to be filled. But with these guys, it was a very complex edit to put together <sighs> because there's so much going on. It was probably one of the most complex edits I've ever done in my career. Right. Not only since because it was a feature, but there's how do you tell a band's 35 year story, uh, a one man's 35 year story, another man's 35 year story. Yeah. And then on top of that, their relationship, all three together. Right. Plus understand a culture. Um, and having the audience understand where they come from. It's a, it was a very, very challenging thing to do. And at the same time, still have very emotional. Mm -hmm. So it, it took quite a while to, I like to use the word, massage the edit yeah, yeah. Um, to get it to where it is today. Um, the audio interviews, if you go back and watch any of my older films, I've done a couple shorts, this, this technique, because I started doing this technique early on as a necessity um, because of... Um, wanting to do short form content that was very uh, emotional, mm. but you know, at time only being a one man show. Yes, right. Um, so it's like, how can I do this? So my business partner Mike Pesci and I, you know, came up with the idea was, why don't we just do audio recordings and and do some some really beautiful B roll over the top? Mm. It will also fit, you know, commercial. Well, let's develop that style together. And I think I, I didn't invent that style, but um, I feel like I really embraced it and ran with it. Um, Absolutely, you did. Absolutely, and then I and then I moved it into and I, I, I when I started this film, I didn't want to make that the entire film, um, and that was a challenge for me because I had been so used to doing so much work like that. Right. Um, 
so it's it's a hard balance to go back and forth from those uh, different tonalities and pacings with your subjects in a feature film. You got a crazy maniac like stigma. I enjoy life. I'm having a good time. Listen, I want to get a tattoo. I want a picture of Rocky on my back. You got a super serious guy like Roger. Even though we're very different, when we come together as agnostic folk, we're a team, you know? There's nothing that can ever come between us. Not you were starting to get into, and I'm going, to, I'm going to bring you back to it. Sure, and I can sure. tie it in with this idea of legacy. Clearly, there were a lot of people that responded out of their pocket when they heard about the project that you were doing. And your Kickstarter campaign, you had a goal of 15k, but you more than doubled the success of that goal. And yeah. and there's a couple of things here, Ian. First of all, <laughs> how great is that? How satisfying is that? You know, ten or however however many years later, after trying so hard to get funding for a film that clearly at that time nobody thought there was a film to to be funded, or they didn't think it worthy, and then suddenly crowdfunding comes about, and clearly a lot of people. Probably many of them fans thought it was not only worthy, but they, they doubled your goal on Kickstarter. What, what do you attribute that kind of crowdfunding success to? You know, I think it's I, I presented the story I wanted to tell in a compelling way, uh, presentation. Um, love for the band. Uh, people, you know, love this band. Um, and I, I offered a different perspective. Mm. And hopefully, you know, some of my past work had made people feel more comfortable at investing in something I'm like sure, that. I'm sure, I'm um, sure. And, you know, my my honesty of wanting to do this and my intentions for doing this. My in, my intentions for doing this are sure as hell not financial. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, because, you know, I'll be, you know, that's just a whole other topic. Um, but, you know, having, you know, people invest in a project that you you want to put out there is a, is a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. And... I remember once the money, you know, started, you know, going into the Kickstarter the first day, it was just going so fast. And, <laughs> and, and I, I, part of me was like, I was so excited, excited. And then, then part of me, I would change emotions to feeling like, oh man, I just want to call all those people that wouldn't give me money and just saying, I told you so. Yeah, I told of course. You. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm being honest here. Like you have that moment of like, I told you guys, gotcha, yeah. you know, but, yeah. but then the other side of it is, you know, um, feeling this just like oh shit it's real now oh, <laughs> oh yeah you're beholden oh. to a lot of people now <laughs> yeah i'm like oh man now we got to do this and um to be completely honest with you it has been a huge part of me pushing through all of the emotions that come with making a project close to your heart that's and, right and it, it's it's i've I, some of the people that have and you know uh, invested into this this film I can't thank them enough. And it's, I also, I, I, to be honest with you, man, it's like the amount of time that this has taken to come out and, and get to this point, it's extremely frustrating as a mm. filmmaker mm. because I come from a DIY background. I yeah, just want to yeah, yeah. do it, bang it out, put it out, here you go. Yeah. But when you do things at a level um, to which I did them at, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not cheap. And it's very tough to, you know, I'm trying to think of an analogy. I, I can't at the moment, but it, it's really hard to put something like this together on a shoestring budget. Yeah. And um, the, the Kickstarter folks, as, as grateful as I am, 
um, to them being part of it. It was not the only investment to this film whatsoever. I'll bet. Um, there <laughs> was, sure. It was a lot. And you can tell by just watching it. You can. It, it's, 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 it's not me showing up with a camera by myself and walking around. It and hopefully getting certainly is not. It certainly no, is not. It is quite different. And yep. we spent a ton of time, attention to detail, um, and having, and I, this is the other thing I was, I don't mean to be uh, being long winded here, but you know, once those people started investing into it, yeah, I immediately, you know, said, I have responsibility yeah. to make something as good as I humanly possibly yeah. can. And because those people believed in, you know, this film in my idea, which is yeah. just awesome. Yeah, feeling. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they stand behind it. And, um, I have to come through this. I, and that goes in segues into what I'm about to say was that, you know, doing a a film, um, you know, not really so much a short, but a a a feature documentary, and then also a feature documentary that is as complex as this story. Yeah. Um, it's it's a you go through a lot of emotion. <laughs> um, putting something like this together, I I I, I said recently on another um, show that I went on is is. You know, I get a lot of young filmmakers that that reach out to me and say, hey, man, you know, could you watch this or could you give me some advice? How did you do this? And it always goes back to me saying to them, you know, are you ready to do this? Like, mm -hmm. I know you think you're ready to do this, but like, are you really ready to do this? You know, what kind of emotional support do you have? Yeah. And I, and that's one of the things I like about your podcast is because just the the title, you know, the do, you know, the documentary life, because mm. It's interesting because my my business partner and I, um, when we first started our, our production company, is people would always ask, okay, what are you about? You know, what is your your mission statement? Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. we would always say, and this is the truth. You can you could search it online. We've always say life filmmaking is a lifestyle test, not a job. Mm. And we bring that to all aspects of the projects that we are involved with. Let it be a commercial project or a passion project, um, and. Uh, to apply that to you know young filmmakers coming to me asking me for advice i always try to say like as you get started don't only be thinking about the story and what cameras you're going to use and how you're going to do this be ready to make sure you have all of the t emotional tools that you need to have in your backpack or, or your travel bag um that you keep close to your chest um, that you can open up and lean on. Let it be a a friend uh, to to speak with, uh, or, or or someone that's a um, you know uh, an advisor, yeah. or a husband or a wife. Um, and then have that conversation early on and say, you know, this is going to be a very long road. You know, is you know, should we should we work these things out in our relationship? You know, so that we're 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 good to move forward. Wow. Wow. I mean, yeah. those are really important things that I don't think people talk about because everybody no. wants to talk about what cameras, what gear, <laughs> what how they're going to shoot it. Yeah. But honestly, man, you know, and I both we both know this. It is it's about stamina, and it's about oh, maintaining. Yeah. It's about maintaining that clear mental state from beginning to end because it is going to it's like a, a glass of water and that analogy with it's you know it's not half empty it's half full yeah. you have to you have to think about that when you're taking on a project of 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 a size like this and a topic like this because it's just it's heavy stuff you're dealing with 
with people's stories. And that is a responsibility as a filmmaker, whether you be a journalist or you be an, a, a, like a more of an art filmmaker or whatever it may be, you go through emotion because artists go through emotion. I hate calling myself an artist because mm. I, I just I just hate the whole connotation. No, man, that. don't don't. You know what it. I mean? <laughs> don't uh, I, it I, I'm a filmmaker and that's what I do. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, you got to be ready for that, man. I, I, I if I didn't have my wife, you know, my wife and I had been together for uh, it's 20 years uh, coming up <laughs> right now. Wow. And, you know, we have two kids, yeah. um, young kids, uh, five and 10. <laughs> we have a small little tiny modest house just outside of Boston. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, I, I didn't get paid to make this film. Yeah, that's right. I, so that this film isn't paying my bills. No. So balancing that, you know, uh, documentary life with, you know, let it be being a, a, a you know in working as a cook or working as a as a, a server or a that's day right. job or an actor that's whatever right. you need that's to do right. or a cameraman or an editor yep. whatever you need to do those all tie into the overall you did a, a podcast the other day where you talked about the uh, necessity of health and mental health along with it and I think that's a really important topic for filmmakers to really embrace and um, you know, if, if we were another country, if we were in another country, I think like maybe the government might have special therapists for filmmakers. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can name a few European <laughs> countries that would up, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Probably it's, Denmark, but, Sweden. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just trying, but basically I'm, I'm just trying to say that it, it's, that's an important thing. And, and honestly, I didn't learn that until this film. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and, and, you know, my wife is, you know, my wife didn't re really sit down and watch the whole film until I was done. Mm. Um, but she knew it from beginning to end because I would be talking to her the, for over these like two and a half years of just saying there's this and there's that and I'm having trouble with this and like, what do you think of this? And and then that would just bleed over to me obsessing about it all day long and all night. And then that would bleed over to my family. Lives. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and that's a very dangerous slope, you know, um, in either direction. Uh, positive so or many negative. of us are experiencing that, Ian. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, when I get prepared for a shoot, and when I would be prepared for this this film, some of them I would just say, okay, I'm not even gonna think about it. I'm just gonna go, mm. and I would go and see what happens. Other ones I would be very prepared because yeah. I was going after one specific thing. Yeah, right. right. Um, so yeah, it's a balance, man. It's, wow, it's really a balance. Ian, I think you just distilled about 50 of our episodes into five minutes of just brilliance. Oh man. Oh, thanks man. Thank you. I well, uh, thank no you. I, and, and there's no way I'm going to follow that up with any additional questions. Like that is it right there. <laughs> no, no, no problem, man. Well, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> oh, Ian, the film is Godfathers of hardcore. Um, I loved it. I loved it as a music doc. Uh, I loved it as a documentary and, um, I can't wait for people to see it. What is the timeline in terms of uh, distribution on this thing? Hurry up and wait, man. Yeah, like right, I am, right. I am, I am. Think, uh, I, I literally finished the film in in in, in uh, August, and yeah. we are in the process right now of uh, accepting and declining a fair amount of film festival offers. Yeah, um, scheduling things. That is a whole. You should do a podcast just on the process of uh, film festivals. Yeah, we will. You need to be, um, because it's a very it's it, it's once you are into what people call the festival circuit. Yeah, um, it is 
you, you I mean, there should be classes on this. The because festival it, circus. <laughs> yeah, exa- perfect. That right there. There's a podcast right there. Yeah, festival yeah, yeah. Circus. You're right. You're right. It is. Um, <laughs> it, you know, because it's 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 amazing, and it's also you know you got to have thick skin. Um, and on a, on a lot of, you get a lot of disappointment, and you also get a lot of um, excitement with going to that process. So. To answer your question about distribution, yep. we're talking to a uh, fair amount of uh, people right now. Of course. And uh, we're, we're uh, working out deals with attorneys and, and our uh, sales agent and, um, yep. and trying to just get the thing out there. But in the meantime, we're doing as many festivals as we possibly can at the beginning of this year. And uh, I, I want this thing out literally in the spring. Like I, I earlier than the spring. I want it like this winter. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So, um, but yeah, that's what we're waiting on, man. Well, uh, you and I are going to de- certainly going to keep in touch, and uh, I'm going to to certainly let the 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 listenership know when the film is out and when we can all see it. Uh, Thank again, you, it's a fantastic film, and this has been an equally fantastic conversation. Ian, thank you so much, uh, not only for, for being on The Documentary Life, but really sharing your experiences of living The Documentary Life. It's been awesome, man. Thanks, man, and keep doing what you're doing. I think what you're doing is amazing and extremely important to uh, filmmakers, as I said before. So uh, thank you. Right on, brother. Don't forget, if you're interested in a guide to help you navigate the fundamental aspects of doc filmmaking, the things that every doc filmmaker should know, then get our free doc filmmaking course, The Documentary Filmmaker's Essential Checklist, by going to thedocumentarylife.com courses. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.